0: We'll hear argument first today in Case 05-1508, Zuni Public School District et al. versus Department of Education. Mr. Van Amburg.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In 1994, Congress enacted the Equalization Formula under the Impact Aid Act. It did so clearly and decisively and described a methodology which was unambiguous was self-contained, reflected a recognized statistical standard, and assisted in actually promulgating and the uh, intent of the Impact Aid Act, which is to benefit impacted local educational agencies or school districts and not fund the general uh, educational program of a state. In so doing, Congress removed from the Secretary the previously-delegated authority to establish by regulation the equalization formula. The Secretary, in turn, in 1996, in enacting his regulations in response to the 1994 uh, legislation, disavowed that he was engaging in any rulemaking, or, in fact, in any interpretation of statute. Instead, the Secretary sought and announced that he was proceeding under an exception to the Public Notice and Comment uh, Laws, 5 U.S.C. Of 553B, by stating that his regulations merely reflected uh, changes in legislation, uh, refining regulatory language.
2: But Mr. Van Amberg, they were essentially the same as the prior regulations, were they not? And they were, those regulations had gone through the notice and comment process.
1: Yes, uh, that is correct, Justice Ginsburg. Uh, Ginsburg. Those were essentially, except for a few words here and there, those were the same regulations. But they were in response to a congressional directive back in 1974 that the Secretary is to create the equalization formula. In 1994, Congress came in with legislation and established that formula.
2: I thought that the formula was proposed to Congress by the Department of Education. This is not something that Congress did, in other words, to stop the Secretary from whatever he was doing. But it was indeed, wasn't it the Secretary's own language that Congress enacted?
1: The contention is made that this 545-page omnibus education bill.
2: Well, just as to that, the provision that we're talking about, do you you say it wasn't drafted by the Department of Education?
1: I don't think we know exactly who it was drafted by. I think there there is some references in the congressional, regi- uh, le- uh, congressional record that this is an administration bill. But I would, I would like to uh, respond, uh, Justice Ginsburg, based on the assumption that this w- was the Secretary's bill. Under the statutory formula, the language is clear that what is disregarded in 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 ranking LEAs and eliminating percentiles of LEAs is those LEAs which fall above the 95th percentile. But
3: be- Before you get into the substance, let's 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 finish with this uh, uh, this problem about whether it was indeed the uh, the secretary's own bill was was the secretary who, uh, who proposed uh, the the 94 legislation, the same secretary who had promulgated the prior regulations?
1: No. The prior regulations
3: were promulgated when?
1: The former regulations were promulgated in 1976. My goodness,
3: that's a long time before. It's a long time. With a different secretary now.
1: And a different agency. So there's
3: no reason to believe that the same secretary, that that the secretary continued to have the same view of what was proper, is there?
1: Uh, we view that it did not, and and also uh, Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg, we also view that if this was the chief educational officer of the federal government, uh, he was more than capable of developing a statute which reflected his methodology. Indeed, he
3: could have copied the regulations that were on the book and just put them in the statute, couldn't he?
1: Well, even in the same act, Your Honor, under when they had the Efig statute, there uh, Congress was able to reference uh, the regulations of the secretary. They didn't do so when they were uh, when they enacted the impact aid part of it. So, but as, but
2: as far as the difference in time, it was the secretary's decision, the later secretary's decision, to retain, as you uh, acknowledged, the uh, almost the identical regulation. He said it didn't go through notice and comment the second time, but the text was basically the same in 76. And he
1: did, he, if, I, if I could, Your Honor, he did not retain the second regulation. This was supposed to be a new regulation which was promulgated by the Secretary because the Impact Aid Act had been repealed. Yes, and, and I appreciate re-
2: that, but the text of it what the regulation said was not significantly different from what the earlier regulation said.
3: No, but it, w- was this the same secretary, by the way, uh, is the secretary who issued the new regulation, the same secretary that was in office when the new legislation had been proposed?
1: The new legislation was 94. Um, secretary enacted it in '96. I think it probably was. I, I, it was the same administration.
3: Mm-hmm. Why, why would the secretary, if indeed it was his bill, why would he deprive himself of the power to decide what the formula should be, which is the power he had before? I mean, one, one must think that there were, must have been some pressures from elsewhere. Well, no the secretary goes in and says, take some power away from me, please.
1: Well, that, and I would agree, Justice Scalia, that that is not a, a, a usual event, uh, where an administration intentionally disgorges from itself, its own authority, uh, and, and 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 I would also point out the fact that, uh, again, there is a dramatic difference between what stat what the statute proposes and and the methodology described in the regulation. And what's what's very significant is if you go back to 1976 when the original regulation was promulgated, there was a debate that went on in the public notice and comment portion of these proceedings where they discussed whether you eliminate percentile of LEAs directly or whether you add this extra step of eliminating percentages of pupils and then eliminating LEAs uh, as these pupils are eliminated, uh, I mean, it's it's a totally different process, totally different philosophy behind them, and as we can see in this particular case, in New Mexico uh, and in Alaska, totally different results.
3: Well, Mr. Van Amberg, is the statutory language really as unambiguous as you suggest? It says above the 95th percentile or below the 5th percentile, but it doesn't say above the 95th percentile of local education agencies or below the 5th percentile of local education agencies, does it?
1: Well, Justice uh, Bolido, I, I think what you — I think it is clear and unambiguous. And the reason is um, that if you in, — in order to run a percentile calculation, you need units against which to run that. And then you need these uh, — an identified set of variable uh, standards such as uh, they've provided here the average per-pupil expenditures of each set of these LEAs or districts. So you rank the, um, the LEAs. You've got the variable uh, values. And then it, uh, it's uh, — the statute provides that you find — that you eliminate those LEAs which are above the 95th percentile. And then if you go back to what such means and referencing back to other portions of the statute, it's 95th percentile of the revenues and expenditures of the LEAs in the state. It's a very similar process for —
4: But what do you distribute? Pardon? What do you distribute? I mean — I agree. You, you have a some kind of like let's put something on cards. So we have thousands of cards, and each has a number on it. What are you distributing? The cards? Are you? Are you? What's distribute? What we a how percentile refuse, refers to some kind of distribution. What's it a distribution of?
1: It's the distribution of the uh, percent of the. What is,
4: there's I, a thing, like a, the, the like thing, a set of things okay. that you're distributing. What are they?
1: The, the thing that you're running the percentile against is the total number of, uh, of expenditures and revenues in the state. In now, other
4: words, you take all the — there's a set of numbers. Each number is a different number. And the characteristic of each number is there's some school district that spends per or takes in per pupil revenue equal to that number. So we write each one on a card. Is that what we're? Is that our distribution? We have like, uh, let's say we have uh, a thousand cards. Is that what it is?
1: Well, in our in New Mexico's case, you have. No, no, I'm not. I'm
4: saying, what do you think it has to be? What do you think it should be? What what are what is it we're distributing? simple question. I guess for a statistician, I unfortunately am not one and can't find one, so I have no idea what this statute means.
1: Well, the, the, distrib- the value against which
4: Not a value. I want to know what I'm distributing. And if you don't know, I would say that this is I've never seen a case so much better fitted for relying on the views of an agency. Council, yeah, so I thought you said
3: that you did know what it was. I thought you simply quoted the statute. The fifth percentile of such expenditures or revenues in the state. That's what's being distributed.
5: Yeah, but the term, sorry, what I don't such expenditures
3: that. or revenues a, in the state yeah. consist of. The word such obviously refers you back to some prior reference to revenues in the state. And that prior reference in subsection A is a
4: reference to district by district, not pupil by pupil.
1: Th- that's correct. So, okay. so, in
4: other words, we're distributing those cards, the set of numbers? Well, you're not certain. Isn't it fair to say that this statute is not clear as to what it is you're distributing?
1: Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Justice, I'm um, uh uh, Breyer, I'm having a little trouble understanding. Well, the I, I thought. Uh, is there a. St- Maybe is-
0: not certain about the hypothetical, but you're certain about the statute, aren't you?
1: I'm certain about the, the statute. You're provided the variable values that are attributed to each of the LEAs. You rank them, and you provide a percentile. It's a methodology which was described in 1976. It's a a methodology employed every day in ranking students in schools.
4: Yeah, that, right. But I unfortunately don't know enough about this subject. So I thought, not, not being an expert on it, that when you refer to a percentile, you have some group of things, a set of things that's being distributed in a certain order. And there's a top of that and a bottom of that. And, and if that's what percentile refers to, I just want to know what those things are that are being distributed. And, and that's where I find the ambiguity. And if there's an ambiguity, I guess we're going to take the, the view of the agency, at least as I understand. So, so I, that's, that's why I asked the question.
1: All right. And, and I think I understand the question now, Justice Breyer. Uh, thank you the units that are ranked or distributed are the leas or the school districts and they are ranked in order of their per pupil expenditures and revenues Mm -hmm. those are the units and the component parts of this calculation that are provided for us by congress and does the statute say you have to do it that way that has to my understanding under under Brown and Williamson, is if Congress speaks to an issue, Congress is to be obeyed. There is nothing mysterious about this type of a methodology. This is the one that Congress chose.
4: You could do it that way, and the reason the government, I think, says that you shouldn't do it that way is it will produce an absurd result. All right. But the object of the statute is to catch the outliers. And if you, for example, had one giant school district like New York City, which was at the top of the list, and another giant poor school district that it was at the bottom of the list, you would cut those two out, and you might have cut out half the pupils in the whole state.
1: And those wouldn't be outliers, would they?
4: I mean, that's the
1: problem. And you have a similar infirmity associated with the other methodology. That is, if you have a number of LEAs which are uh, small in numbers, as in New Mexico, uh, particularly if you had a number of small LEAs at the bottom, which is, a, which is a, I think, a huge problem uh, policy-wise, you were to cut them out and let them to float off in their poverty, uh, I, I think th- I, I can understand does there's the, —
0: Doesn't uh, subsection BII address outliers? I was surprised there wasn't more discussion of that in the briefing, and maybe it's because of some reason I'm — unaware of that says that the secretary in making this determination can take into account particular types of leas uh, where there's extra uh, additional costs i would have thought for example if you had a very small lea with only 20 students and the cost is particularly high because you don't have economies of scale that you haven't that that would could be knocked out for that reason is that not how that works
1: yes and this is the the whole problem and we can argue philosophically how whether congress's methodology or the secretary's methodology is better but the backdrop of this is that the uh, the statute and also the regulation allows for school for the states to back out all these disequalizing expenditures so that you you make an adjustment to more or less uh, end up with a baseline per pupil expenditure and there's really no reason after you do that for having a wide disparity even between the top and the bottom LEA, the Secretary's formula, and I don't think we should be arguing whose formula is better because if they're different, Congress wins, but nevertheless, the Secretary's formula, it eliminates 26 percent of the school districts. And under New Mexico, if you, uh, if you look at the top and the bottom school district, even after the eliminating of these uh, Funding differentials—you've got a 244 percent disparity.
4: It it eliminates 26 school districts, but those 26 school districts account for five percent or 10 percent of the pupils. And I guess what we're interested in here is not school districts—they are not a thing—they are a thing of a kind—but we're interested in students, real people who get money, and 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 so that it that it that it eliminates 26 percent of of the school districts would seem to be a good thing, not a bad thing, because what we're really interested in are the pupils, and it keeps in 90 percent of the pupils.
1: And, uh, Justice Breyer, I think Congress, and in its methodology, has disagreed with that view because it does not rely strictly upon pupils. And pupils are not necessarily the driving force in how we work this formula.
3: I thought the problem was disparity in school districts. Since uh, much of the funding for education is local funding, in some places there are very rich school districts and very, very poor, poor school districts. And I thought that the purpose of this was to make sure that there is not an enormous disparity, not pupil to pupil, but district to district. It makes perfect sense, it seems to me.
1: And that is correct, because these districts, particularly in New Mexico, uh, serve a unique Purpose. New Mexico has pockets of uh, uh, of urban and populations, and then they've got uh, small uh, traditional villages. They've got farming communities. Uh, they've got uh, Indian lands. They've got military bases, and a school district. Whether it educates 100 children, or 1,000 children, or 5,000 children. Uh, has a special value in the state and in our educational process. And simply because a child in New Mexico attends a school district that does not have particularly many uh, students in it doesn't mean that he has to suffer a poorer education than his brethren and and brothers and sisters in the metropolitan area.
2: Mr. Van Amburg, if there is any ambiguity in the statute, one relevant consideration might be how would this work across states and i think it's true is it not that that your reading would lead to wildly different wildly different results from state to state depending on whether they have large districts or small districts at the top and the bottom whereas the other way counting pupils rather than school districts, regardless of size, you would get uh, uniformity going from state to state. Um,
1: Justice Ginsburg, the Secretary recognized in 1976 that both methodologies have their problems, depending on how your districts, the number of districts that you have in a state, their relative populations, how they
6: line up. Uh, yeah, it's this question? Is, is, am I correct in understanding that at the, the, the end of the line here, if you win, the federal money will go to your two districts, whereas if the other side wins, the federal money will go to the states? Is that what the, what the bottom line is? That's the bottom line. Yeah.
1: And, and I would point out, uh, Justice Stevens, that Congress has made it clear that the impact aid is supposed to go to the impacted districts, it is not supposed to fund the general educational program of a state. Uh, the, the, money that the state. The money that the state of New Mexico seeks to retain is under a limited exception that has been created. Uh, and it is, it is not that we are trying to take the state's money as the bottom line. It is that the state has taken the impact aid dollars and doesn't have an equalized system. New Mexico could equalize if it wants to. It established its equalization.
6: Let me ask you another general question for me. If it were true, and I don't think it is in this case, that the the biggest districts was the one that got the most per pupil money, and the, the two biggest districts that were at the opposite ends of the spectrum, they would all be taken out, wouldn't they, under your view?
1: Well, it actually depends. You get into statistical approaches, but if, let's say, there were less than — 20 districts you just had let's say 18 uh, districts or 19 or uh, districts then if you do the percentile uh, against if you work the percentile in that particular setting nobody gets eliminated uh, if but, but you have the same problem if it's students i take it you, you'd have the same uh, statistical question whether you use you use districts or students correct because you would run because if you had districts, big districts at both ends, you run your 5 percent on both ends with the students, you end up not eliminating anybody. That's all right. I wouldn't think that was a
4: problem. But what about Justice Stevens' question? There are 20 districts in our state. It's exaggerated, but let me exaggerate it. And the rich district has 20 as a quarter of the students. And poor district has another quarter. So our outliers in that situation, which we're eliminating from our calculation, are the rich district and the poor district. One's at the top, one's at the bottom. And now we're left with 18 districts to figure out whether they're equalized. But those 18 districts account for less than half or about half of all the students. Now, that's the problem. It seems that isn't very representative, and we're trying to get representativeness.
1: Well, um, Justice Breyer, I, I would respectfully like to go back not to what we are trying to accomplish through a judicial decision, but what Congress... Accomplished no, I, I understand that. Decision. If the
4: language doesn't permit it, you can't do it. They can't, and you win. But if the language does permit it, the reason, that one of the you have to stretch the language, I suspect, in my view, to get to the government's result. It might just barely permit it. But one of the things on their side is that if we take your view, it produces an absurd result because of what Justice Ginsburg said. Okay. Because there's such variation in the number of pupils among school districts in different states.
1: If if I could address that, Your Honor. The only argument I see the State has is the argument about absurdity. This debate that we're having now was the debate that took place in 1976 in front of the Secretary. He recognized that there were two uh, methodologies that he was considering. He recognized that they both had their problems. Uh, but. In 1994, Congress had before it, at least, um, or had available to it, information as to the pr- whether what, how this particular formula would work. There were only three, in perhaps our three states—Kansas, Alaska, New Mexico, and perhaps Arizona—that had um, that were trying to take advantage of the of this narrow exception. So they knew the configuration and the composition of these school districts. And so they could look if they wanted to, and there's no legislative history to this, but they could have looked and they had wanted to, to exactly what the practical effect would be of these two formulas. And the practical effect is that in New Mexico, the formula which the respondents contend is absurd uh, reduced uh, only 11% of the LEAs. And with the backdrop that this, that these LEAs should have been more or less equalized anyhow because of removing the disparate funding, that's, that's much more reasonable and certainly doesn't reflect an absurdity. And when you compare that to the Secretary's approach, which eliminates 26%, and cuts loose 23 school districts out of 89 from any consideration, and you end up with kind of a core block in their 14 or 15 percent disparity, uh, I think there m- may be those who could argue forcefully that that's an absurdity. I, I see your white light. It's on. I don't want to would, would the other states make that same answer that you've just made? Uh, Kansas equalizes under any formula. As New Mexico did, it could do. Right. Alaska, you eliminate 22 percent in order for them to just kind of squeak by. If they applied Congress's formula, they would disequalize. This is an option, I contend, that's available to every state that wants to take advantage. If you give them a 25 percent disparity allowance, you allow them to back out disequalizing uh, expenditures, there's really no explanation and that has been offered why there's any disequalization at all and with that if there's any time unless there are thank any you counsel
0: mr srinivasan
7: thank you mr chief justice and may it please the court mr S- srinivasan you don't want-
0: you don't want us to stretch the language,
3: do you?
7: Well, I don't think you need to stretch the language, okay. Justice Scalia. And, and you wouldn't
3: urge us to do that either, would
6: you?
7: Well, it depends on what you mean by stretch. The huh? the question The question before the court <laughs> is whether the Secretary's formula is unambiguously foreclosed by the statutory text. Not whether it's the better reading, but whether it's unambiguously foreclosed. Now, we happen to think it's the better reading, but we certainly think it's not unambiguously foreclosed. And maybe the clearest indication that Congress did not unambiguously foreclose the Secretary's methodology. Well, what's what's the, the case that says
8: unambiguously foreclosed? Well,
7: Brand Act says that, but I, it's, it's a characterization of step one inquiry under Chevron. And we can use foreclosed if, if, if you'd like, Your Honor. But the clearest indication that the statute does not foreclose the Secretary's methodology is a provision that I think hasn't been addressed thus far in the argument. And that's that in the very same Act of Congress, in which Congress enacted Section 7709, the provision at issue here, Congress also explicitly endorsed and incorporated the Secretary's equalization you begin
0: with form. an argument that cuts directly against your position. They knew how to do it under the — I assume you're referring to the Education Finance Incentive Grant Program?
7: I
6: am.
0: Well, they did it there. They didn't do it here. To me, that suggests the opposite of the inference you're trying to draw.
7: I don't think so, Mr. Chief Justice, with respect. There are two Education Finance Incentive Grant Program, or EFIG, provisions that we identified in the briefs. And one of them, I would acknowledge, is susceptible to that line of argument, although I don't think it's persuasive. But it's the other one that I'm focusing on. And what the other one does is to explicitly incorporate the Secretary's regulations, And so what Congress said in 1994 is that for — Which they
0: did not say in this Act.
7: They didn't, but I think it would be very odd to attribute to Congress the intention, on one hand, to say, we like your regulation so much so that we want to use it, and we want you to continue to use it for purposes purposes of the EFIG program. They're
3: They're not different, different, different purposes.
7: They're not different purposes at all, Justice Scalia, with respect. They're the exact same purpose in both programs. What Congress wanted to do is to get an assessment of the extent to which education expenditures were equalized in a state among school districts. They're the very same
0: purpose. But for different purposes. In the one case in this act, we're worried about an extensive federal presence that has an effect on the tax base available for schools. And under the EFIG program, it's an entirely different question of equalization.
7: Well, at that level of generality, you might be right. But with respect to the purpose of the equalization provisions of both of those acts, the purpose is exactly the same. In impact aid, just like an EFIG, the question is, to what extent has the State equalized expenditures across school districts? Yes, well, Very e- same well maybe
0: me ask it directly. If they could so easily just say we incorporate the Secretary's regulation in EFIG, why didn't they do it here?
7: Well, because They instead I like
0: went to the trouble of, of mimicking part of the regulation but not mimicking the appendix, which is where the, your calculation methodology is in-
7: well, they didn 't mimic it, they incorporated it, and in and, and so far as the argument is that they incorporated just the regulation qua regulation and not the appendix to the regulation, I don't think that that argument can be squared with the statutory text or the I ask you a question, text. Is there a
0: difference uh, legally between a regulation and an appendix to the regulation
7: I don't think so, at least not in the circumstances of this case where the regulation, by its own terms incorporates the appendix. And so when Congress incorporated the regulation, it necessarily incorporated the appendix. When
0: you say incorporated, though, what it did was it took the language, and it did not take — no?
7: No, I don't think so, Your Honor. The the text of the statute um, in 1994 is set forth at the top of page 30 of the government's brief. And I'm quoting from the second line of, of page 30. And what Congress said in the Ethics Statute in 1994, again, in the very same act that enacted In the Ethic Statute? In the Ethics yeah, Statute.
0: But in, in this statute, it, the, the regulation says, look to the, look at the appendix. Congress, as I understood it, when it enacted our statute, it took language from the regulation. It didn't take the part that said, look to the appendix.
7: Well, it didn't take the part that said, look to the appendix, because I don't know that that would have been a sensible thing to do when you're enacting a statute. But... The, the point I'm trying to make is that when Congress and the EFIG statute incorporated the regulation, it specifically referred to the regulation that the Secretary had in place at that time.
0: And it didn't and do and that
7: here. It, it didn't do that here, but it didn't it it make sense
3: rather than for you the fact that they could have done the same thing here, and and we wouldn't have this uh, case.
7: Well, let me just make one more point in this regard, and then I'll move to the text of Section 7709, because I do think that this point has a great deal of force. The reason that Congress would have incorporated the regulation explicitly in EFIG, but not in impact aid, is because we're dealing with an impact aid regulation. So — The Secretary ordinarily wouldn't have thought that it should apply the Impact Aid Regulation for purposes of EFIG unless Congress told him to do that, and that's why Congress did. But with respect to Impact Aid, there's no reason to incorporate the regulation. The regulation already existed. And the question is, did Congress in this act foreclose the Secretary from continuing to apply that longstanding regulatory methodology? And I would suggest that a Congress- Mr. Srinivasan,
3: if we could come to the the text that you're talking about. What I don't understand about the government's uh, position- is why you use this, uh, this per pupil theory for purposes of B little i, but don't use it for purposes of A. You, you, you don't, in, in, in the major computation portions, namely, uh, for purposes of paragraph one, a program of state aid equalizes expenditures among local education if, in the second fiscal year, is made the amount of per-pupil expenditures made by or per-pupil revenue available to each agency. You do it agency by agency, don't you? Well, You, don't, you don't apply this, uh, uh, you know, it depends on how many pupils in each agency. Why don't you do it for both?
7: Well, if you look at 2A, Your Honor, What that says is that the disparity disparity standard at its broadest level deals with whether the per-pupil revenues for the um, highest-ranked local educational agency exceeds the per-pupil revenues for the lowest by 25 percent. It would make no difference if you took into account pupils for that part of the analysis. And here's the reason why. When you take into account pupils with respect to a local educational agency and you weight the the, the figure by the number of pupils served by the local educational agency, the per-pupil figure that you're going to attach to each of those individual pupils is the same. It's the same per-pupil figure for each one. It's just that you multiply it by the number of pupils. And so for purposes of this part of the statute, where you're comparing the highest to the lowest, whether you took into account the number of pupils or not, you'd still be dealing with the same two figures. You'd be dealing with the figure that applies to the highest-ranked local educational agency, and you'd be dealing with the figure that applies to the lowest. You're saying it comes to the same,
3: but the fact remains you don't use that methodology in A. But I because think you it, don't think the language requires that methodology. Well,
7: there's, there and yet be, it's
3: the same language in B.
7: No, there would be I — I don't know that we use one or the other. It's just that there would be absolutely no purpose served by using pupils. For well, the
3: purpose would, the would be to part. follow the language of the statute. And if you think that the language in B requires this kind of an approach, you should take the same approach in A, espe- especially if it makes no difference.
7: Well, it, no, especially because it makes no difference, because with respect to the B part of it, the 95th and 5th percentile exclusions, it makes all the difference in the world whether you take it account. I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. I have a conceptual difficulty, and it may be my limitations with the way you do it. You take students and you assign a per-pupil number to each individual student. Effectively. But I would have thought a per-pupil concept only makes sense if you're dealing with LEAs. They have a per-pupil number because they've got a bunch of pupils. You take individual students, and you know, for example, in that school district, you don't spend the same amount of money on the kindergartner that you spend on the eighth, eighth grader. And yet you give the kindergartner a per-pupil number and the eighth grader a per-pupil number that is the same. It's, it's an artificial association. It makes sense to speak of per-pupil numbers when you're referring to the LEAs because they have so many pupils, they get so much money, you can do the calculation. It doesn't make sense to say, you know, John Smith, the kindergartner, has a per-pupil expenditure of $1,000. He may have $200 and the eighth grader 2000 so, why are you creating this artificial association and then using, using that method?
7: Well, it's an approximation to be sure, and per pupil revenues, by, by definition, deal with approximations across the swath of students that are covered by a local educational And it only makes sense
0: to rank them if you have an entity that has a swath of students, the, the, the district. That's the way it should be ranked. When you're ranking it by pupils, maybe if you rank them by pupils and you had the actual numbers, of course, which nobody does. Your methodology would make sense. Well,
7: I think what we're really doing, Your Honor, is weighting each figure by the amount of pupils in the school district. And the reason we're doing that is to get a more ac- accurate picture of the extent to which any one school district's per pupil revenue figure contributes to the overall revenue pictures in the state. And if I could use one example which I think what might help to crystallize why it's necessary to do this sort of weighting and why education finance practitioners routinely prescribe that you have to do this sort of weighting in order to avoid distorted results. If you consider an example of a state that has two school districts, and I'll use real examples from New Mexico, one would be the district that has the highest per pupil revenues in the state, the mascara district, which serves fifty seven pupils, and the other would be the Albuquerque School District, the largest school district in the state, which serves eighty four thousand pupils now the per pupil revenues for Albuquerque are roughly three thousand dollars, and the per pupil revenues for mascara the smaller school district are roughly seven thousand dollars and If you imagine a state that consist- consisted just of those two districts and you ask the question to pair it the statutory language what is the 50th percentile, and I'll use 50th just for ease of analysis, what is the 50th percentile of such per-pupil revenues in the state? One answer would be that you take the number for Mascaro, the 7,000, and you take the number for Albuquerque, the 3,000, you split the difference and you say the 50th percentile of per-pupil revenues in the state is $5,000. But I think that would present a very misleading picture of what's actually going on in the no, state. Because, because, it's
0: a, because it's an absurd hypothetical. What is the,
7: uh, I, it, what, what is the not
0: smallest not. number of districts? What, are the, what is the smallest
7: number of school districts in a state? One. Which, which state has one school Hawaii. district? Hawaii has one, which is a special case. But there are many states that have a, a relatively small in, number. In, so the,
0: in the hypothetical you posed, why couldn't the secretary address that disparity under BII? In other words, the school district, which has only 57 students, uh, uh, it seems to me, could be taken out of the calculation under BII, and then you would be dealing only with uh, uh, more representative school districts, not the special case of, of a particularly isolated school district or whatever.
7: Two, two points about BII, Mr. Chief Justice. The first is that by, by the statutory text, BII is, is over and above what you do in BI, the 95th and 5th percentiles exclusion, so you first have to do that. But the more relevant point — Why do you have to do
0: that? Why do you have to do it first? It says you can take into account the extent to which the program reflects additional costs in particular districts.
7: No, my point is simply that under BI, the statute says the Secretary shall disregard local educational agencies that are above the 95th and below the 5th percentile. So I think the Secretary has to do that. Now, BII, in some sense, could be seen as an additional option for the Secretary over and above the exclusions. But there's a more fundamental point. Which is that with BII, it says take into account the extent to which a program of state aid reflects the additional cost. And so what that does is it piggybacks on the way that the state approaches the situation. this, as this, this provision, as the Secretary understands it, allows it to give effect to a State that gives effect to those sorts of considerations, but it's not an independent grant of authority for the Secretary himself to take those considerations.
8: Mr. Srinivasan, you, you may have convinced me, you, I'll stipulate that you have convinced me, that, that the method you are arguing for would probably be a better method, but you haven't touched the text of, of B2, B1 yet. Uh, and, and that's where some of us, at least, are, are having our, our problems Do you agree that uh, in the absence of the other program, I forget the the, the acronym for it, uh, that you really would not have any argument that there is ambiguity in the text here? No, no,
7: absolutely not. Then would you address the text? Sure, I will. It's at page 4A of the appendix to the government's brief, the I. And what the text says is disregard local educational agencies with per pupil expenditures or revenues above the 95th percentile or below the 5th percentile of such expenditures or revenues in the state. Okay, and now the what is made, to be
8: disregarded are educational agencies. Yes. Right. And the agencies are identified how? How do we identify the agencies that would be disregarded?
7: You identify the agencies to be, to be disregarded by first identifying the 95th and 5th percentiles of per pupil revenues in the state. And then you and we identify the their
8: per-pupil revenues, too, don't we? Agencies with per-pupil expenditures or revenues above or below, right?
7: Yes, but, and, but the critical text is the 95th percentile and 5th percentile of such expenditures. But that critical text state.
8: is being applied to an agency which is identified by reference to per-pupil a- expenditures
7: or revenues, Correct. It is. I mean, there's no doubt that the per-pupil revenues or expenditure figures that lie on the spectrum are associated with the local educational agency. That's how it Well, it's
8: not merely that they're associated with the, the very definition, the very identification of LEA here is exclusively in terms of per-pupil expenditures or revenues. It's not merely an association. It is a definition. Isn't that so?
7: I, I don't think so. I, the, the —
8: then, then what does the phrase with per-pupil expenditures or revenues above 95 or below
7: 5 mean? Well, well that's true that each local educational agency has a per-pupil expenditure or revenue, but the critical part of the statute, which has 95th percentile or 5th percentile of such, uh, such expenditures or revenues, doesn't foreclose waiting. And I think the point that Justice Alito made and, earlier bears this why doesn't,
8: exist, doesn't is, it? It seems to me that the only identification, of an entity or person, if you want, to be disregarded is the identification of an LEA, and the LEA is described in terms exclusively of its expenditures
7: or revenues. So why doesn't that foreclose your position? Well, we two, — two parts of the answer, Justice Souter. First — the Secretary's formulation, no less than petitioner's formulation, does disregard local educational agencies with per-pupil revenues above the 95th and 5th percentiles. Where we right. disagree after, after is on identifying, identifying the 95th After identifying
8: exactly. them in terms of the expenditures or revenues. That's exactly. What it's and supposed to do.
7: Exactly. And I'd reiterate the point that Justice Alito made earlier, which is that Congress could have compelled the approach that petitioners compelled, but contend is There are the lots of things Congress have
8: could have done differently from what it did do. But that doesn't seem to me uh, to inject an ambiguity in the identification in in this subsection of the LEA that we're talking about, and it doesn't create an ambiguity in, in the clear provision that what is to be disregarded is an LEA
7: as so defined. Well, I think it does, Your Honor, because there are two different ways of ranking the LEAs. One is to take the per pupil revenues associated with each LEA and simply take that list into account. Another is to take the same list but then weight it by the number of pupils in each LEA. Nothing in the approach. Sure, that's another way to do approach. it, but
8: tell me why that is consistent
7: with the text. Because this text refers to the 95th and 5th percentiles of such expenditures or revenues in the State. And the list that, in, that includes the weighting does represent a list of expenditures or revenues what does in such the State. Mean
3: of such yeah. expenditures or revenues, that refers back to. Local educational agencies with per pupil expenditures or revenues. It's referring you back not to a totality of students, but to, to agencies with per pupil expenditures or revenues.
7: Sure, and I, I, don't, and I don't dispute. That the per pupil revenue figures belong to a local educational agency. But again, that doesn't mean that you can't take into account the rel- relative extent to which a particular school district contributes to the overall state picture. Wouldn't the statute have
0: it. told you, though, to, to disregard pupils according to the ranking? It, it, it does tell you to disregard LEAs, which suggests that the ranking at least to me, that the ranking ought to be of LEAs and not pupils.
7: Well, it is, it is a ranking of LEAs in the first instance, and then it's each of those LEA figures is weighted by the number of pupils the way we do it. And we do end up disregarding LEAs, but as Justice Souter pointed out, the first step is identifying the 95th and 5th percentiles. And on that step, we take into account the number of pupils. It's only at that step that we take into may,
6: account. May I ask you, Mr.
7: Nothing ba- in the statute forecloses that.
6: A ba- rather yes. basic question. What if I'm convinced that your opponent's reading is really the only fair reading of the statute, but I'm also convinced by you that that's not what Congress intended? What should I do?
7: <laughs> well, <laughs> one way or another, I think you should rule in our favor. Oh, no, I guess. no. <laughs>
6: Accept, accept my premises. What, what do you think I should do?
7: Well, I think in that situation, you sort of have the sliding scale that we often con- confront with textual analysis. And if you really think that Congress would have compelled an absurd result, and I think it does verge on that, well, then you would struggle vitally. I not it
6: absurd. It's just I would measure it by what Congress actually intended. Assume there are two permissible readings, and two, both of them make sense. But I'm convinced, assume I'm convinced by you, that they really intended to perpetuate the prior method of procedure. May I take that, may I come to that result, even though I think the language really says exactly what your opponent says it says?
7: Well, if the language absolutely unambiguously compels that reading, then I think it would be a difficult position. But I don't think it goes to that degree. I would have
0: thought your office had answered that question in countless briefs where it tells us to be guided by the language of the statute and not some unexpressed
7: intent. Well, that's why I said, if you think that the statute unambiguously absolutely compels that reading, then I don't know that we would have a position. And why, why well, you you
3: mean, still have a Church of the Holy Trinity team
4: over there somewhere, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but why, why, doesn't it, why doesn't it absolutely compel it? Where is the ambiguity? You say
7: it's in the, the, the n- fifth
4: percentile of such per pupil expenditure. Now, that's that, right. now, how are you going to get that so it doesn't say just list? Cards with per-pupil expenditure on it, different ones?
7: Because it, it, well, five. it's just the number of cards, ultimately, under your hypothetical, Justice. So you Mark. have a lot of we cards that have the same, cards. The same add,
4: number. You have it, a lot they of, have the same numbers, yeah. exactly.
7: It's the same cards with the same numbers. We just add more cards in order to reflect the extent to which each LEA contributes to the overall picture. And,
4: and why, why don't you take the top five where we have 10 percent of the students, let's take the second five, and it happens to have the same number on the card as the first five, and why don't they fall in the top five percent?
7: I'm not sure I understand.
4: All right, forget it.
2: Sorry, sorry. Can you you enlighten us a little about how this statute developed? Sure. As as far as I know, it was the same Secretary of Education when the statute came on the books and when the regulation was kind of re-adopted. I think it was.
7: um, I I think that's right, Justice Gannon.
2: But there was a a peculiar proposal to drop, it was the Secretary's proposal to drop the bottom five so it was a different proposal, and what was the reason for that? Why keep, keep the 95th percentile, but not the fifth?
7: Well, there, uh, as we point out in a footnote in our brief, there were some education finance experts that suggested there were, that there would be no reason to retain the exclusion at the bottom of the range. And I think that's because when you have low per pupil revenues, there's a reason not to exclude those figures. But the important point is that the material part of the language, which is 95th percentile of such expenditures or revenues in the State, is exactly what the Secretary proposed. And the Secretary, of course, wouldn't have curtailed his own discretion to continue the same methodology that had, he'd long had in place. Thank you. Thank you, Counsel.
0: Mr. Manasuvit.
5: Mr. Chief Justice, may please the Court? I'd like to begin with Justice Ginsburg's question because I think that that is very illuminating to where we are today. This statute began against a history, an 18-year history, where the agency had been delegated by Congress, virtually carte blanche authority, to devise equalization tests. That was the earlier statute. The agency had three tests at the time. One was the 25 percent disparity test that we see today, and there were two other tests. In 1994, what happened was the Secretary proposed to the Congress, and the Congress, following the Secretary's lead, eliminated the two other tests. That's, That's what was happening. And Justice Scalia asked, well, why would the Secretary tie his hands What happened was the Secretary no longer was satisfied or liked the other two tests and eliminated those and proposed the test that he had been using for 18 years to the Congress. Congress adopted that test, and that's the test that we have today, the 25 percent disparity test. The difference is that whereas the Secretary had the free reign to develop that disparity test however he wanted, Previously, the, secretary, the Congress now told the Secretary, in disparity, do the following things. First of all, 25 percent is the maximum disparity that we're going to allow you, number one. And number two, take out the outliers in a range of five. Isn't this —
3: I'm sorry, go ahead.
5: Well, I, you
0: know,
3: I, I really don't care what the Secretary thought he was doing. I mean, it seems to me we have to ask the question, what would a member of Congress who voted on this thing have thought he was voting for? Who hadn't, you know, didn't have this history you're giving us. And more importantly, what would a citizen to whom this language is promulgated think the language means? I don't care what the Secretary had in the back of his mind. Why why should that make any
5: difference to us? A fair question, Justice Scalia, and that brings us back to the language of, of the statute, where, where, of course, we begin and, and 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 we have to look precisely to the language of the statute. The language of the statute, what what petitioners mistake is that the language of the statute here has a two-part process. We don't look at LEAs first. It doesn't say five, fifth percentile of LEAs. We have to first rank expenditures or revenues in the state. It's above 95th percentile or below 5th percentile of the expenditures.
3: Such expenditures or revenues. So you've got to find out what such refers to.
5: And such would refer just to the previous usage of that precise term, which is disregard local education agencies with per-pupil expenditures or revenues. So it's that with per pupil or revenues that the such would refer back to, the most immediate prior reference. So we're still looking at per pupil revenues or expenditures in the state, which we have to rank first. We don't identify LEAs first. It doesn't say 95th percentile of LEAs. It tells us rank per pupil revenue. The only difference. It
8: says disregard LEAs. It then identifies certain LEAs which are to be disregarded. Nowhere does it say disregard pupils.
5: No, it says says we're disregarding the LEAs. That's the end of the process. But we have to identify the range of values that 5 percent and 95 percent applies to. The percentiles apply to a range of values. We have, in New Mexico, we have 89 amounts of per pupil revenue per district. We have 89 of those. But we also have 377,000 per-pupil revenues, because a per-pupil revenue repeats for every time that there's a student.
0: And No, no. See, that's my conceptual difficulty. It is only per-pupil when you're dealing with an aggregation of the pupils. If you're going to break it down pupil by pupil, which is what you do, you don't have a per-pupil number associated with each pupil. You have A number. Nobody knows what it is because nobody knows how much you spend on each individual. We know how much you give to the district, and therefore the district has a per-pupil number, and therefore I would have thought a reference to per-pupil number suggests you're grouping according to district.
5: Mr. Chief Justice, we're not saying that it can't. We're, all we're saying is that it equally carries both meanings. School finance is an extraordinarily technical area, which is precisely why Congress left this issue to the, to the agency to work this out. When Congress, when Congress used the terms 5 percent and 10 percent, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not Reading Congress's mind to say that when Congress used those terms, those percentiles, Congress must have intended some national uniformity. This is a national program, and Congress expects these programs to be applied somewhat uniformly across across the country.
3: Maybe, let me go let, let me ask you the same question I asked uh, I asked the government: uh, Why don't you, if this is a natural reading, why don't you apply it? To, to 2A. You, you don't even think of doing that in 2A. In 2A, you just look at the individual agency. But it's the same language in 2A.
5: In, in 2A, 2A calls for a different type of comparison. And, and I also note that in 2A, it refers to percent instead of percentile, which refers to two numbers being compared. Percentile refers to an entire ranking of values. So, the processes are somewhat different. Now, we're not, I'm not contending that this statute is absolutely clear in a model of draftsmanship, but certainly the meaning of 95th percentile or 5th percentile of such expenditures or revenues is a broad enough term.
4: To include the words per pupil revenue for each pupil. Is that what you're saying?
5: To, well, to. Im- How do
4: you want to say? To in- Per pupil revenue attached to each pupil.
5: Well, I believe. Or how that, do
4: you want to say it then?
5: I, I, simply, I believe simply that the word per pupil revenue can mean the dollar amount per each agency 89 times, or it can mean repeated each time a student generates. Which
4: is what is attached to each pupil? It's broad. You yes. say the word such is broad enough to include. Per pupil revenue, as attached to each pupil.
5: Yes, correct. Uh, remember.
4: I don't know where to look to discover if you're right or wrong.
5: Well, bear in mind. Bear in mind the nature of of many. Is there a- any
4: statistical text that you could look at to see if that's a way people use the words?
5: That that answer I couldn't I couldn't answer. But I can tell you that typically in an education statute, funding is distributed on the basis of numbers of pupil. So if the statute says $3,000 per pupil shall go somewhere, the, the statute means you take that dollar amount Well, that
0: must not be right, because otherwise we wouldn't have any disparity to worry about equalization in the first place right
5: well we always we always will have disparity in the real world and that and that because lots of things cause disparity in this case actually local tax revenues are not the cause of disparity because there are no significant local tax revenues at issue here the but disparity happens in the top three or four districts in new mexico you have under 100 students or slightly over 100 students in a district that small Minor things, an insurance recovery, for example, a couple hundred thousand dollar insurance recovery in a district of 87 students will generate $3,000 of revenue per member uh, for that year. It's a distorting figure. That's precisely what Congress is trying to get rid of. But when Congress says 5 percent, presumably Congress intends that 5 percent to have some uniform applicability across the country and not vary with a state like New Mexico, where uh, it would just eliminate five districts. Or in our our neighboring state of of Maryland, Montgomery County has the highest per-pupil revenues in the state. It has 16 percent of the population. Under petitioners' view, that and it has 24 districts so that district would be eliminated under petitioners view it would completely be eliminated yet under our view the 10 percent would fall within that and we would keep it in
0: so don't you think congress is congress is concerned about the in this provision about the impact of the federal presence and your reading uh, prevents the money that congress meant to go to those particular districts from actually reaching the districts i mean wouldn't we be inclined to read it the way that let the money get where Congress meant it to go?
5: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, because that was on the list of things that I wanted to cover, and I'm sure the petitioner's counsel inadvertently misspoke. Impact aid never, ever gets diverted from the district. Impact aid goes from the Federal Government pursuant to a Oh, form sure, but then the, the
0: question is whether the State can consider it when they're figuring out how much money to give it. So, in effect, it's diverted.
5: Well, remember, the state figures a total cost of program for every district, starting from zero, number of students and dollars needed to manage those number of students, and the state supplies that amount of money. So where the district gets some of that necessary money from another source, the state in under equalization is allowed to just consider that that amount of money, in addition to what the State's going to provide, will provide the entire amount.
0: Thank you, Council.
5: Thank you very much. Uh,
0: Mr. Van Amberg, you have three minutes remaining.
1: Uh, Mr. Chief Justice had a, had a question as to whether or not the an appendix is something different from a regulation or carries a different weight. And I haven't found anything uh, determinative, but I would refer the court to Young versus Community Nutrition Institute, where it identifies something similar to an appendix as an example, and the court says an an example is just that, an example. Um, And I don't think we need the argument to prevail, but we would submit that it is at best confusion, confusing that the Secretary would take the body of the methodology proposed by Congress, put it in, his, in the body of his regulation, and then refer the, the public to an appendix in order to how, how to work the methodology. And in this appendix, he then flips what Congress intended and what he had in the body of his own regulation. Um, I would also suggest that Uh, Congress cannot be presumed even in this instance to not uh, be at least have some input as to what was happening in the the Senate bill, my understanding is that there was a suggestion that the disparity figure would only be 10 percent and not 25 percent. That didn't make it through, but the statute as it was written and I think lasted for about a year or so uh, had the disparity amount going from 25 percent to 20 percent uh, that was subsequently amended and kept back up at the 25 uh, percent level. So the idea that uh, this was not a bill where Congress paid attention, I, th- I think, is not a warranted assumption.
2: Mr. Van Amberg, could a state get to the same result, let's say your reading of the statute is the only permissible one, by combining school districts? It says it's no longer going to be the X school district and the Y School district it will be the xy school district and then the population would increase still only one lea
1: There, there is a provision justice ginsburg in the impact aid act and i think it's 7113 which it basically says that if the secretary of the education perceives that a state is manipulating its leas in a way in which to take advantage uh of the of this limited exception, it can disregard that action. So I think there is built — I think Congress was one step ahead of us and recognized that possibility and addressed it. Thank you. Thank you. With that, thank you very much.
0: Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.